This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Good morning and welcome to the June 7th edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joined this morning by fellow co-hosts, Carl Jorn and Ben Jacob. I'm Brian Schrader, all agronomists here in the state of Indiana. So we are also joined this morning by our colleague, Nick Hedden. Nick is the agronomist on the western side of the state of Indiana. Good morning, guys. Good morning. morning. I just about screwed up there. I about said May. The calendar switched on us, and uh, I definitely noticed, but I just about messed up this morning. So, guys, want to get started here. We're going to take a little time later in the podcast to get to know Nick a little bit better as a continuation of our Getting to Know Your Local Agronomist series, but want to start out uh, with a crop report, kind of the conditions around the state, what you're seeing, challenges. I think for a lot of us, the big concern is drought conditions. If you look at the drought monitor, a huge chunk of the state, really kind of small little pockets on my part of the state uh, that are not uh, in the drought monitor. So that's certainly something that's, I think, impacting all of us pretty much. So let's kind of go around the horn here and uh, get started. Ben, you want to start us off with a crop report from Southern Indiana and what things are like? Yeah, well, you you summed it up fairly well, Brian. It's it's dry. Um, you know, last week we did have some pop-up showers early in the week. Um, I think Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, all there were areas that saw it, but those were, when I say pop-up, they were literal pop-ups that dump an inch on, you know, this 180 acres and across the road got a tenth or nothing. So, um, you know, one example of those storms at my house, um, at my house, we got nothing. Uh, I mean, you went a mile and a half kind of northeast of me, and they got three quarters of an inch. Um, you know, it's and my power went out too. So, so it was enough. It came quick enough and hard enough with the winds and everything, like a thunderstorm, to knock my power out. But I was still watering my garden that night. So um, that kind of that kind of sums up the area. I mean, looking looking at the crop. Um, kind of i guess i'm kind of thankful that we had we had planting be delayed a little bit because most of the most of the corn is young enough um, that it's not going to see a significant impact we do have some that was planted early earlier that you know it's probably it's it's trying to set kernel rows right now so it may it may impact that portion of growth but i Overall, I mean, we just think back to last year. You can get a pretty good feel. It's almost like Groundhog Day around here for what the weather's doing. Beans, I don't have a big concern on. I'd, I'd um, you know, it may impact height. We'll see how August goes for yield. Um, <clears throat> I do think we're losing the top end of our wheat yield with this with this weather. I think because it's trying to finish out grain fill, grain fill that some of these fields that you know wheat's kind of had an up and down year as far as the growing pattern of it and. Some of those fields um, are probably going to are probably going to lose the top end. I still think overall we're going to have a pretty decent wheat crop, but I don't think uh, I think that we should make sure that we have our expect our expectations set reasonably for when we get into it. So, okay, excellent, Nick. Let's move on over to you. What uh, what's the report from your part of the state, and uh, what are you talking to your growers about? Yeah, very similar. You know, dry conditions has been there to my to the south of me. 
we did get a few pop-ups that were few and far between i think last tuesday or wednesday i know like uh rossville had a little pop-up there it was around an inch down at wayne town uh, just west of crawfordsville got about three quarters of an inch but they also experienced some hail damage um so very limited uh hail damage in that regard but yeah just really random showers like like ben was saying and then even up carl i think up at monon i heard they got around four inches up there so feast or famine right now um but yeah uh crops in a real similar similar situation to ben um you know i've had some growers ask over the last week or two thinking about these herbicide applications and corn and soybeans you know do we need to be doing anything different and uh you know basically with corn what i'm saying is stick with your program um you know this corn is i know it's growing slow but uh even v5 v6 corn we're getting up there where we're uh close to getting out of range on some of these programs that um have a height restriction in corn so kind of stick with the program there uh soybeans you know it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis um thankfully if you have enlist soybeans you can you might be able to wait this out a little bit longer compared to other technologies that have a restriction coming up here in a week uh so extended max that can be tolerant soybeans um so if you're planning on using that you know you've you've got a few challenges but uh, uh just make sure you stay on the label and um anyways that's what's going on uh in my parts brian I think the other thing too, Nick, and you and I talked about this as we were getting ready to start to record is with your tank mix partners, make sure you're cognizant of the amount of oil that you've got in those tank mix partners uh, so that you don't end up with a too bad of a crop response in these high temperatures and uh, drier conditions. That can always be something as you think about those post applications that you do need to be cognizant of in these kind of conditions. So. Carl, what about you? Kind of a report from your part of the world. Yeah, it's fun as we uh, continue to march north on the western side of the state here. Uh, similar observations to what Ben and Nick shared. Uh, got my first question on irrigating wheat um, here as we go through the reproductive phases of grain fill for the first time. Uh, I don't have that many wheat acres in my neck of the woods, but that tells you just how how darn dry we were. The guys are trying to think through how to finish out their crop to Ben's point. Um, uh, in addition to that, uh, definitely been working through some crusting on some of the poorly timed uh, planting relative to when we got some some pounding rain. So um, some of those pop up showers that came through middle last week did give us that relief we needed to spring some of those beans through that were, uh, you know, baked in under a crust. Um, but it, it was very spotty to, to Nick's point. Um, I. I was uh, washed out of a field and I couldn't drive through the road because it was so, um, you know, it was raining so hard. And then I got another five miles to where we really needed that rain and, you know, pavement was dry, nothing was received. So it's, it's yeah, feast or famine to, uh, to the previous point. Uh, you know, other things of note with that, with that hail damage that uh, I've got in my area as well. Um, at this stage of the game, there's so little foliage out there um, that you basically have to lose the whole plant for it to be yield limiting. So um, I guess folks can feel as though that's more cosmetic than anything at this juncture, uh, but something to keep an eye on just in terms of preserving preserving the plant from a management standpoint. Tattered leaves mean that we're going to 
you're going to lose more moisture that way because you've got more surface area that's exposed to the atmosphere and speaking of the atmosphere uh milky sky yet again today with those uh wildfires that are happening up in canada um so kind of that smoky haze look to the sky uh that's something that it'll be interesting to look back on this year uh we always kind of refer back to what solar radiation quality looks like at key developmental stages to the crop um, as we're putting rows around here for a lot of the corn crop uh, could that have an impact? More to come as we're still measuring, uh, you know, how much the sunlight quality is being degraded by this. It'll depend on how long it hangs out, but something, something to monitor. Um, I, I'm sure you guys got the same questions that I did on the silver leaf, um, kind of look to the, to the corn crop after last week's, um, you know, rapid cool down. Uh, we could talk about that if we want, but that's kind of an anomaly that, also not yield limiting. I, I teased one of my growers that uh, he, we, we text pretty regularly and he shared a picture and I said, he just replied back, uh-oh, um, just to pull his leg there for a little bit, but um, not, nothing to be concerned of there. So uh, could go on. Asiatic garden beetle still rearing its head up my way, um, unfortunately. So for folks that have been with us and listened to Jake Mish's uh, and Lance Shepard's uh, podcast on AJB, know that we talked about it. I don't know if we predicted it, but sure have uh, enough of it to go around that we're happy to share with anybody that wants those pesky critters. But I'll uh, I'll leave it at that, Brian, so you can share what's uh, taking place east of us. Well, let's unpack a couple things for those that didn't experience this, because I will we didn't on the eastern side in any reports uh, unpack the silver leaf for those folks that may not be familiar with that. Uh, it's an interesting phenomenon to see. Uh, but unpack that for the folks that maybe have not experienced that in the past, Carl. Yeah, the silver leaf syndrome. Uh, we can get that when you kind of have a confluence of uh, environmental conditions. So you, you got to have, um, I'd say, fairly um, low humidity values because part of what we're working through is uh, it's the rapid loss of heat from the plant, from the leaf surface. And so you got to have pretty hot temperatures during the day, followed by, uh, I'd say, maybe exceptional cool downs in the evening. We had some evenings in the 40s here in the northwest side of the state 10 days ago or so, um, enough to actually frost off some beans in my mutt ground, believe it or not. Um, but but you have to, it, it's, the, it's the rapid loss of heat from the leaf surface. And that's, that's kind of how you get that quote unquote silver leaf. Um, and I know Bob Nielsen wrote up a good article and Dan Quinn shared it here, uh, you know, like I said, about a week ago or so, um, <laughs> but more of a, more of a novelty than anything, um, anything to take back home. I don't know if I did that explanation justice, if Ben or Nick want to chime in, if they had, uh, any observations of that last week. No, we, ob we observed it around Lafayette and to the South there. Um, nothing to add, Carl, you nailed it. So uh, talking to our colleague, Lance Shepard, as you mentioned, Carl, Asiatic garden beetle is a nasty deal. A uh, lot of uh, AGB around and talking with Lance, he's seeing quite a bit of damage from it. We actually spoke about that on Friday. And so, uh, you know, typical uh, control measures are only doing half-hearted jobs that it sounds like just because the pressure is as great as it is at least in in visiting with him and so we've talked about that but i know that that's something that the guys up north on the eastern side of the state are dealing with as well so um 
the report for the east side is pretty similar. Uh, as you guys will remember, in my geography specifically, we were a little delayed in getting things planted. So we're still actually working through a good chunk of replant. Uh, we received rain on Friday the 19th. Anything planted the three or four days prior to that has been uh, our biggest replant issue. Some crusting, uh, some things just odd because of that rain and the way it came. And so we're working through that. Uh, realistically, the drought monitor has, is no surprise in seeing it updated. The spots on the eastern edge into Ohio that don't have that uh, are not abnormally dry. Not surprising, we can track that back to a couple uh, rains that were really heavy in the two plus inch range. So, realistically, right now we're battling the same thing that's been mentioned uh, this morning so far with. Uh, dry weather, trying to make the right decision on herbicides, trying to make some decisions on what we're going to do with uh, UAN applications and things like that. And so just uh, trying to do everything that we can to preserve as much of our inputs and control weeds and uh, maintain our nitrogen until we get to the point where we can get some rain, hopefully here at the tail end of uh, the week here on the the week of the 5th of June. So um Anything else, guys, that we should be talking about here to get our listeners updated on uh, around the state with the crop? Yeah, you, you touched on there, Brian. You know, if we're if we're top dressing nitrogen, you know, make sure we got a, a urease inhibitor there. Um, you know, just for the sake of trying to limit volatilization. There's, I mean, there's basically nothing in the forecast for my growers. And if we don't have something, you know, we, we lose a fair amount after, you know, a week, two weeks time there. And that's how long we might be chasing this rain. Um, uh, folks that have listened to the program for a while know that I, I'd like to keep an eye towards what the climatologists will say. And we've kind of been shifting out of the uh, La Nina into the El Nino. It's kind of been a slow, slow walk over to that that a fully formed El Nino. So they, uh, we, we might not be getting the backup as quickly as originally we're hoping for in that department. So may not be until, you know, October and thereafter where we get the consistent rains. Uh, so fingers crossed, European model says that we'll be warmer and wetter for the duration of the growing season, but I'd like to see that wetter show up here because we're, uh, we're losing, we're losing spots in the high sands, you know, corn's dead and we're losing more and more of the hill as, as this drought goes on. So um, I guess that would be the editorial comments and forward looking statements. I mean, wait for those beans to start getting a little green, you know, highlighter green to them with it being so hot and so dry. Those nodules probably aren't going to be firing at uh, full capacity, just given, uh, you know, lack of resources to sustain their staying their uh, production. So um, I guess that's, those are some of the remarks I'd like to leave folks with here for today. Yeah, I think the other thing that we should probably mention is about water use in corn just briefly. So folks get at least some kind of understanding about what their crop needs. You know, if you figure someplace between 21 to 28 inches is what your corn crop needs on average for uh, the year. And we've, with a V4, corn plant you're talking about someplace uh right around a tenth of an inch for a daily use rate and then that obviously water use rate obviously peaks as we get into the reproductive stages uh and so you know not that water is not important throughout the crop 
uh, or excuse me, hit the, at this point in the crop. But certainly when we get to those reproductive stages, uh, water use goes up, it basically triples. I mean, you're up over a third of an inch is what you need for the daily use rate for, uh, you know, when we get into the reproductive stages. So we all know water is important. It's just interesting that there's a little bit of a difference in the crop need as we go through that uh, growth staging. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, once you kind of hit V5, V6, we start to go into that rapid growth phase of the vegetative cycle for the for the corn plant. And, you know, right now I'm sitting by a field that, uh, you know, we've got some highlighter green tips to it, uh, you know, kind of that, that yellow flash, um, if you will. So uh, that's natural, nothing abnormal there. We're just, you know, putting it into high gear in terms of in terms of growth so uh the the loss that we have of moisture in the field is not due to crop use it's due to you know not having closed canopies and evaporating through the soil um so once we close canopy that'll help us retain some moisture but until then we're just kind of holding on tight residue helps um and we'll we'll see where we go from here but definitely could use a rain yeah. Ben, one last item here on wheat. You mentioned it, taking the top end off the yield uh, for wheat. Obviously, one of the other things when we get hot and dry, that is going to speed up the um, maturity a little bit. Are you where do you are you putting or projecting your wheat harvest uh, right now? I mean, are you to the point where you feel like the dry weather is going to speed that up considerably? Uh, just a few days. What, what do you expect from that? Yeah, I think it will speed it up quite a bit. Um, I mean, keep in mind this this year's wheat crop. I I felt the whole year was probably two weeks ahead of schedule. Um, yep. And you know, or a, a lot of early growth. And if you looked at the you know the fields are green and purple early on, it's probably not surprising. The weeds grew quick. The wheat grew quick as well. So I think we're probably we're probably a little bit ahead of schedule um, in that regard. Overall, I think. Um, We'll probably average about 10 days ahead of where we have been the past couple of years for when we when we start wheat harvest. Um, and it's probably it's, it's probably important to mention that that we need to keep a really close eye on on grain moisture and get into get into these fields pretty early because if they are PMD from the heat and the drought, um, it's going to have it's going to have a negative impact on grain quality if if we didn't get scab controlled in them, you know, you know, we've got all these things that are stacking up where test weight's going to go through, go down, you know, through the floor and, um, yield, yield will probably be impacted the same. But again, I said, just the top end's probably taken off as long as we're monitoring that and getting it out there, you know, getting it out of the field at 13% or, or even wetter, but not letting it get down to 9% because then we have a mess. Right. Sure. Okay. Well, I think that's probably a good update from the field, unless anybody else has got something else they want to mention that we haven't touched on yet. We uh, move on to uh, our special guest, Nick Hedden. So uh, Nick is a fellow field agronomist on the western side of the state, as we've mentioned earlier. Uh, Nick was the newest addition to the agronomist team here in the state of Indiana. And I guess, Nick, honestly, I've kind of lost track. How long have you been uh in the position now yeah i've been in the position for just shy of a year now Came okay for the end of june last year okay all right and so we appreciate you being with us nick and so <laughs> i guess 
you know, really where we've started all of these conversations has been tell us about where you grew up, how you found your love for agronomy. Uh, just give us kind of the blow by blow of, of who Nick is and how you grew up. Yep. I grew up on a, uh, a farm in central Illinois, a little town called Edinburgh, which is about 20 miles southeast of Springfield. Um, so grew up on a, a corn and soybean farm. Uh, we also raised hogs, uh, farrow to finish until 1998. We got out of the hog business. Um, so grew up, my dad and grandpa ran the farm, uh, two older brothers that were actively on the farm uh, until they went to college and uh, did other things. But uh, yeah, I was really blessed to to be able to grow up on the farm life, learned a lot of really good things from my dad and grandpa and my brothers, just, you know, uh, livestock wise and agronomy wise, I was just really blessed to be able to have that, that upbringing. I'm uh, really thankful for that. So um, grew up in 4-H, heavily involved in 4-H, showed hogs all growing up, uh, not, not national shows, but we'd go to, to county fairs and of course our own our own county fair i went to the state fair every year and really appreciated the the relationships made through that and uh you know you're able to meet different people from all over the state and just kind of make really long-lasting friendships that way and um so did did livestock judging also in 4-h uh so really did enjoy the livestock side of things growing up and uh was also involved in FFA as I got into high school. And um, so, yeah, I just grew up all things farm life as a kid. Okay. Now you talked about those brothers. It sounds like maybe, are you the youngest of those brothers? Yep. Uh, I'm the youngest of six. Okay. So, yep. They're more than uh, Brady Bunch, three boys and three girls. And I was the okay. youngest. Okay. So well, uh, just the way you were talking, it sounded like it maybe. <laughs> Yep, I got beat up a lot as a kid. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they okay. claim that made me tougher, so I don't know if it did or not. But uh, all right, yeah. So, anyways, yeah, we we grew up showing hogs. There were six of us, and uh, we were all in 4-H at the same time. Uh, my first year being my brother's last year, so uh, the Head and family had 36 hogs that they brought to the fair um, <laughs> one year. So <laughs> it was pretty neat. Yeah, a lot of pen space needed for the Hedden family then. So <laughs> yeah, yes. So how did uh, you find your way, I guess, into ag? Just a natural progression? Did you have other interests? Was the 4-H kind of the the gate into thinking that maybe you'd work in the field, or how how did you end up working a full time ag job? Yeah, actually, kind of an unconventional path. I. Um, my freshman year of college, I went to a small division three school in Western Illinois called Illinois College to play basketball. I, I really enjoyed playing basketball growing up. Um, so I went there just because I, I kept wanting to play basketball. And uh, uh, I did. I had a lot of fun my freshman year, but then I kind of realized, you know, I'm not going to get paid for this eventually. So <laughs> um, I uh, eventually I. Um, Ended up in Indiana. I had a brother that my oldest brother lived over there. I moved in with him one summer and uh, I I met a girl through some friends and ended up sticking around. I married the girl and um, 
we started a, a family pretty quickly and I uh, was able to finish college and uh, through Indiana Westland. And and from there, I uh, was able to take an ag retail job managing a pioneer agency um, back in Illinois. So I moved my young family back to central Illinois, uh, working for a small independent ag retail company just east of Springfield, managing a pioneer agency for them. So. Um, I really, I really enjoyed the retail experience, just uh, very hands on. You get to be involved in a lot of people's operation and they put a lot of trust in you and um, just really enjoyed that that side of advising growers on um, what they can do to maximize their ROI on the on on their farm and uh, just really felt like a partner. So I um, that's kind of where my ag career started and, and it blossomed from there i uh i moved on from managing that pioneer agency after a couple of years they they uh, had me manage a, a retail location for the same company in a different town kind of near where i grew up actually and was able to help the growers near kind of the neighbors that i grew up with there in central illinois and just really enjoyed that um and then decided to move move the family back to Indiana, uh, where we've put down roots now near West Lafayette. Uh, moved back here about four years ago and and uh, managed a location for a co-alliance in White County. Uh, so so doing pretty much the same thing here, uh, just uh, a new group of growers and uh, was able to uh, you know do my best to help them manage their farm the best they could to maximize ROI. So that's kind of been the story of my career. I love ag and I love helping love helping growers just be a partner of their farm. Okay. So when you were in at Illinois College, what had you planned on studying, Nick? What was the plan? I was just going to go into business. I I wasn't really sure what I wanted. I just wanted to play basketball. I know it was kind of uh kind of silly at the time, but uh um that's just kind of where I was at and uh so business was just going to go into business because they didn't offer ag at Illinois College. Um, Nick, I, I got on the hardwood. What position did you play? Uh, I know now we're in the air <laughs> positionless basketball in terms of professional sport as a final yeah. coming to close. Where did you find yourself? <clears throat> I was a very slow shooting guard. Yeah. <laughs> so. yep. I couldn't well, jump very high, but and I couldn't run very fast, but I, I could make a few shots. <laughs> I tried to draw this parallel with uh, Shepard's, um, uh, you know, agronomic expertise and, and how he goes about doing business. So I'm going to I'm going to um, put up a put up an attempt here. It might hit the iron, but uh, Nick is a shooting guard. You kind of got to be the one that, that gets the ball and then and, uh, you know, puts it up in the air kind of quickly. So your background in ag retail or as an agronomist, similar type of deal. You walk onto the farm or onto the field. You might not know exactly what's taking place, but you got to you got to have a good feel for your uh, where you are in space and if you can get the shot up. So kind of similar deal in terms of being an agronomist. You got to got to bite on your feet and um, have good faith doing and uh maybe you're only going to hit 50 percent of your shots but at the end of the day that's that's still points um i don't know if that one lands quite as quite okay. as on but uh i thought it was worth worth an attempt there 
Yeah, there's something about, you know, wanting the ball, Carl, that you're right. It's uh, you want the ball, you want, you know, you you, you know, you can lead. Um, and I've I've felt that, you know, just from growing up through 4-H and FFA and being involved in those kind of leadership things and, and you know, a captain of basketball teams and things like that. I, um, I do have a passion for leading people, you know, uh, leading a rep team now with Pioneer. I just do find a lot of enjoyment in that, just helping out in any way I can and just bringing what skills I have to the to the team. Um, I'm all about teams, so I really enjoy it. So, well, yeah, but I spent about 10 years in ag retail and just experienced a lot of different things. Um, first year I managed the, the plant, there in Illinois was kind of where Roundup resistant water hemp was pretty much taken over. And we kind of went through a, you know, an oh crap moment. You know, this isn't going to work. What are we going to do? Uh, so pulling out different chemistries and just learning how different chemistries work. And, uh, and then of course the next year, dicamba tolerant soybeans came out and got to experience that firsthand good and bad experiences with that learned a lot from it and uh just all kinds of different aspects i've learned over the 10 years in ag retail yeah ag retail is an excellent proving ground training ground for folks i that's my background as well nick and i i tell lots of folks that if you want to learn as much as you can as fast as you can Ag retail is an excellent place to get that experience to be able to start your career. You just, it's so fast paced and, you know, one minute, like you mentioned, you're talking about a herbicide issue. The next minute you got to address a fertility issue. It's just a really great way to get a lot of experience in a hurry. Yeah, for sure. So you spent the 10 years in ag retail, managing locations, working at the two, had the connection to Pioneer. At what point and what brought you to the where you're at now in the role of the field agronomist for the western side of the state? I, I mean, I really did enjoy where I was at with Co-Alliance. They're a great company to work for and uh, had a great group of growers that I worked with and a great team under me that I worked with there at in Reynolds and White County. and. Um, ultimately just came down to uh, an opportunity to work for Pioneer. Um, you know, it's a brand that I've recognized ever since I was four or five years old and uh, just always had a great deal of respect for Pioneer. And uh, so the opportunity came available and, uh, you know, thankfully I was able to to take the position and it's just been a great, um, a great job for for me and uh, works well, you know, with my family. I'm, I'm married. We've got two kids that are 14 and 11, and a bunch of different activities. And uh, it's just really great for family life, and um, that's which is really important to me. So, yep. Um, so I guess tell us a little bit about the territory that you cover. I know we've been through that when you've been on the the uh, podcast before, but for those that may not remember, haven't heard that episode, talk to us a little bit about the area that you cover here in the state and just a little bit about the difference in your geography. Yeah, so the territory runs uh, Benton, Warren, Fountain Counties, and then Tipkanoo, Montgomery, Boone, Clinton, and basically the western half of Tipton. 
So it is, you know, it's pretty different geography. Benton County's, you know, excellent prairie soils, and then you've got some uh, some rougher ground along the river, along the Wabash. You know, a lot of timber type soils that that you work with, and then as you move east, you got some start to get into some of those clays as you start to go east. So uh, it's it's very a very different geography, and I see a lot of things, and uh, it's very good learning experience for me and how to place products depending on you know where the the grower is and it's, it's been good how do those two or how does this geography compare to the two places that you managed your retail locations or maybe you grew up just to give folks some perspective i know your retail location i guess the last one would be very similar but uh your first one in illinois and then where you grew up how would they compare um in illinois you know a lot of very good prairie soil in Illinois, very blessed there in central Illinois. You basically have 10 feet of topsoil to work with, so it's it's kind of hard to mess up. Um, <laughs> but but the, the Sangamon River ran through where I was at in Illinois, so we actually did deal with quite a few of those, uh, those lighter timber soils that, uh, you know, same thing that we have over here. So I've got some of that experience that, that I can bring from Illinois to to where I am currently, and then, like you said, I was in White County there, and um, basically, southern half of White County is has really good ground, similar to Benton County, and then the northern half is kind of sandier, sandier soil, kind of a different way to approach things uh, when you're managing nutrients. So I've got that experience as well. What do you find to be the the most challenging part of um, managing? the counties that you'd have right now with pioneer what's the the most difficult or most the biggest agronomic challenge that you run into nick um agronomic challenge so yeah the biggest agronomic challenge that i see for my area currently is with the uh the popularity of the plenish premium we have in the territory so i'm i'm close to frankfurt adm and we have a lot of beans that go there and that a lot of growers signed up for the the plenish program and so the biggest agronomic challenge which is also an opportunity um would be managing you know your your weed control in those plenish fields you know plenish is a roundup only has the roundup only herbicide trait in it so um you know whenever we're managing through roundup resistant water hemp uh it can prevent it it can present a challenge for those growers. So we spent a lot of time last fall and over the winter and this spring just trying to help growers come up with a plan to be the most effective on on controlling weeds in those plenish soybean fields. Okay. Yep, I can certainly empathize with that given the popularity of plenish on the eastern side of the state as well so i can certainly understand that so uh you've mentioned your family a couple different times nick uh share with us uh, about your family and maybe what you guys like to do and enjoy a little bit maybe behind the scenes of uh who nick is when he's not got the pioneer logo on his chest all the time so yeah i mean for the most part we um you know we're we like to go on a few vacations a year and uh we are involved in our church there in Lafayette. Um, the kids are involved in sports so that my older girl is involved in basketball and the younger one's involved in softball. Um, so just kind of your 
kind of your normal family activities. Um, so. All right. Are you into the travel team thing yet? Is that, are you still a little early for that? No, we're not involved in travel. Um, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I know a lot of people that do it and uh, I could see where it'd be fun, um, but I could also see where it would take a lot of time and I'm not sure that <laughs> we're able to commit that much to it. So sure. I think the lane picnic is probably good for sanity. Um, <laughs> you said it, bro. Well, Paul, you get to you get to work with Nick on a regular basis. I mean, he's part of your your team over there on the western yeah. side of the state. What's it like to work with Nick uh, on a day to day basis? No, it's a blast. Nick's been a great great addition to the team. He. Uh, kind of like a, a jigsaw puzzle for um you know the western side of the state he helps fill where i where i'm weak so on the on the herbicide um management side of things of weeds and and where the rubber actually meets the road um that, that's nick's an excellent resource for me on on that front and having another another family in the lafayette area you know we can ride over together to meetings where we've got you know a little bit of windshield time so it's been good to get get to know Nick and the head and clan from afar. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's been a treat. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, when you're busy, you know, you've got somebody that's literally just down the road from you that's fighting the same good fight. Um, so we can, we can commiserate when there's challenges, but more than anything, there's just that opportunity to collaborate on, um, you know, what he's doing, what growers are enjoying in terms of service and, um, and, and tactics that are working well for our, uh, his agencies that he supports and what he's doing at the farm gate. So, um, no, Nick, Nick's a, he's, he's a good collaborator, great teammate. Um, yeah. And, and a great addition to the team. And I think growers, uh, as more and more of them get to know and meet him, I think they'll, they'll definitely feel, uh, feel the same sentiments I'm sharing there. Thank you. Excellent. Appreciate that. And I've really enjoyed working with you and, uh, and the rest of the agronomists and, in Indiana and the few that I work with in Illinois, it's just a, a really great network of minds that have a lot of different experiences that, you know, we can kind of come together and help each other solve an issue that, that someone else might be stronger in. And it's just a, it's a really great team that we have here at Pioneer. Ben does a nice job of, uh, you know, always kind of highlighting the the local presence, uh, but, you know, you've got the global network of resources. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great way to put it. And a side note that nobody else cares about, but Nick's girls are going to go to Harrison High School, which is where I where uh, I attended high school. So it's kind of fun to get the get the update on, um, you know, athletics and, and all that good stuff. They're going to a rival, rival middle school though, Brian. So I've always got to give a oh, okay. brief about what the, what the fighting Tomahawks are doing versus the, the Klondike golden nuggets. So, um, oh, okay. Little, little bit of Lafayette and West Lafayette sporting rivalries right there. So <laughs> That's right. If uh, if you all want to tune in to the uh, yeah Tippecanoe County School Corporation uh, Athletics podcast, Nick and I are spinning out next week. First episode. Uh, right <laughs> right ahead yeah. and subscribe. My guess is that'd have quite a few listeners, actually. Believe it or not. <laughs> so, well, well, Nick, we appreciate. Oh, uh, go ahead, Carl. 
if you don't mind, I will shout out shout out um, here, uh, Aaron Yarkeen, who I know is a listener to the uh, the podcast that uh, Nick has had her for uh, for a coach uh, for some of his girls' sports. And uh, Aaron's family farms up in northern Illinois, so this is how she kind of gets to get a little flavor for what's going on in the local area. So I uh, uh, just want to give uh, Yark a shout out there, see if she catches this next time she's listening. Uh, that pet at a side will uh, proceed no no problem uh, we appreciate her listening so uh nick anything else that uh, you'd like to share with folks so that they get a little bit of a inside look at who you are and how you operate oh i i would just say i mean basically it, you know you've heard how i grew up and how i was raised and i think that really shapes a lot of how we we do business whenever we're adults. And um, so a lot of our integrity is kind of formed, I think, from from a young age. And I really, you know, like I said earlier, I appreciate my upbringing from my dad and grandpa and brothers. And and I, uh, Pioneer has something called the long look, you know, where we we treat people with, with respect and we're going to represent our products um, accurately. And, and that's just kind of how I how I do business and and how I approach things. So that's a little bit more about me and how I how I represent Pioneer in the in my two territories. Well, I certainly have only worked with you here the last year. I've been really impressed with what you've been able to help us all with, and especially as Carl said around the herbicide standpoint and just everything uh, that that uh, has been become such a big part of what we do almost on a daily basis and you've certainly helped to get me better and sharper at that so i certainly appreciate that uh one last question you've talked about the family farm a little bit we really haven't talked about it what's the status of that you got your brothers or what's the situation with the head and family farm yeah so my brother still farms um there on the home place so it's a it is a centennial farm i think it was founded like 18 in the 1880s i think um so yeah my brother ben still farms over there and uh we plant pioneer on that farm <laughs> yeah i'm sure you do yeah so all right well we really appreciate you being with us today nick appreciate uh the chance to get to know you a little bit better if if folks want to follow along or they want to see what you're doing uh any social media where they could connect with you or uh, be able to follow along with what you're doing yeah I, I am on twitter i'll provide a few updates throughout the growing season and my twitter handle is at nick underscore hedden and uh feel free to email as well so nick dot at pioneer.com all right awesome carl if uh, somebody heard something or wants to get an update on tippecanoe county sports uh, how could they do that thanks brian uh yeah you can follow along on twitter at c jordan or on facebook at c jordan agronomy and ben how about you if we wanted to follow along with all the happenings and the wheat update in southern ohio how can we do that well, Southern Indiana, Brian, and I'm, right, deeply, I say? I'm deeply I'm sorry. offended that you put Ohio out there. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. We'll edit that out. I'll I'll let it slide this time. Okay. Yeah, you can find me the same spots as Carl um, on Twitter at the Ben Jacob and on Facebook at Ben Jacob Agronomy. How about you, Brian? Yep, you can find me at uh, 
B underscore K underscore Schrader on Instagram. So with that, we'll call it an episode. We appreciate uh, Nick joining us today, uh, being able to uh, learn a little bit more about him and uh, how he came to his role as a pioneer field agronomist. And uh, we hope that you're safe and we look forward to talking to you next time on the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.